Hello guys and welcome back to another episode of the Mind Yourself podcast. I will admit it's a little bit weird, obviously, myself and Christy recording this from separate locations, obviously due to the lockdown. But anyway, look, we'll just move on. Everyone's in the same boat. So this week, we're going to be talking about a very hot topic in mental health spheres and one that is often highlighted by teachers and parents as an area they want their children to become better at. It's also step five in our workshop that we do in the classrooms. And this is Resilience. It's a luxury to pursue what makes you happy. It's a moral obligation to pursue what you find meaningful. And that doesn't mean it's easy. It might require sacrifice. When perfectionism is driving, shame is always riding shotgun. Spread the word on mental health so when other people are in this position in the future, they know where to go and they know what to do because there's a blueprint. I think everybody is stuck in the same cycle of looking at how we need to throw money, more money at mental illness and the problem will go away. But it's the incorrect way to look at it. So you have an entire generation growing up with lower self-esteem than previous generations, right? Through no fault of their own. Through no fault of their own. Understanding how our mind works, how our emotions work, can help us understand how to get more satisfaction in life. So according to when I was looking up, so I want to do kind of a little bit of background research and kind of resilience. When I looked up kind of what the definition for that was, it was the ability uh, for people to recover from something unpleasant, such as shock or injury, et cetera. So, I mean, Christy, like, do you want to maybe kind of go into a little bit more, you know, kind of resilience, what we mean when we say resilience? Yeah, that's um, that's basically it. Like if you um, look it up, it's basically being able to bounce back from difficult situations. Uh, in psychology, it's more referred to adversity, or in the case of children, it's known as ACE, so adverse childhood experiences. Um, so that's basically what resilience is. In the context of cognitive behavioral therapy and like what we've talked about in the past, um, it's basically no matter how difficult the situation is, it's always being able to have those helpful thoughts, regardless of the situation or no matter how difficult it is, always, always having helpful thoughts to help you achieve goals. Yeah. So, I mean, basically when we're talking about kind of resilience and we, we've said this about, you know, let's talk about happy thoughts. And I mean, now I think it's kind of resilience has kind of become more conscious or more front of mind for everyone. And I mean, when I think of resilience, it probably comes from a, a childhood experiences when I would have kind of gone through kind of hardships. I relate a lot of my kind of experiences when it comes to mental health stuff with sport. But I mean, I think right now, you know, people are looking for resilience in all kind of works of life. But elderly now, it's become a bigger thing. You know, younger people, it's obviously a big thing because they're more isolated at home. And then just parents in general are under, understanding how to be more resilient. So, I mean, like, obviously, we're kind of living through this quarantine thing as well. What what would you kind of say to people who are saying, how do we maintain, you know, positive and resilient, given the fact that on the outskirts, the news, everything we look at is negative and kind of scary? Well, I, I think it's important to note that um, with resilience, like like this sounds very deep, but like li- life is difficult. Um, we can't <laughs> avoid adversity. Like no matter how much we try, we will have to face with we will have to face adverse situations such as like the death of a loved one, um, failing, loneliness, uh, bullying at stages. And then you have on top of this, you have pandemics like at the moment you have climate change you have terrorism, the the list goes on, you know, we, we, we can't avoid 
um, adverse situations. And that's important to emphasize to people that um, these stuff have to happen. And that's not always a bad thing because a lot of people get mixed up is people think if I can protect my child or myself from difficult life situations, then I'll have good mental health. But it's almost like a, I like to refer it to as a mental health vaccine. Almost mm. we need to deal with difficult, we need to face difficult situations like coronavirus, for example. I know this is a bit different, obviously, because this is a collective adversity. Everybody, yeah. it doesn't matter how much money you but, have, everybody is facing this. But does that make it easier? Because I think when people look at, when you talk about adversity, there's always the difficulty where everyone has their own individual little, you know, challenges and mountains to climb. You know, everyone has their own goals and their own life challenges and things like that. Does it make it a little bit easier because you can look at the person next to you and say, look, at least we're all kind of sharing in the same challenge here. We can look at a way to kind of bring us all together. Is Are we seeing that? Do you, you see that with kind of these online campaigns around we're all in this together, we'll get through this together. It's a, it's a group effort. It, you know, does that, that obviously makes it a little bit easier from a resilience yeah. perspective. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But um, it's also, I suppose, important to note, and this is where the biological aspect come in, comes in like, Resilience is not always something you can learn. It's, it's a combination of both. So mm. people are born more genetically resilient than other people. And so okay. for that reason, um, for that reason, some people will be able to better deal with something like what's going on now other, over other people. Yeah. Um, but then the other thing, too, is environment plays a huge role. Like, for example, um, you might be facing this uh, pandemic on top of several other types of adversity. So, for example, people are going to be less resilient if they um, if they're dealing with the coronavirus on top of having extremely low income, on top of being sexually abused as a child, on top of X, Y, and Z. The list could go on. Yeah. So, like, it's important to note as well. People will differ on how much adversity they're dealing with. So, it's not always just looking at one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, so I, I didn't realize that. Is, is this so that's a proven thing that resilience is biologically stronger in some people versus others? Is that it's not? Yeah, yeah. It's it's the same as most things like it's a it's a interaction between both. As in, OK, um, like a, a big probably like the biggest indicator of brain development, for example, is poverty. Like it's mm. the best predictor that if somebody is suffering from severe poverty, their brain develops far less because your brain isn't obviously is shaped by the experiences that um, you live through. So if you are experiencing constant trauma and difficult life events, your brain development will be stunted. Okay. Um, so obviously that's still the environment, but it does show how there's a biological difference between two people based through their uh, neurology. So it comes back to, and I mean, you mentioned earlier about, you know, resilience and these challenges are like a mental health vaccine. You know, you have to go through tough times to be able to kind of work that muscle of resilience and be able to get over those challenges and believe that, you know, you can you can face the next mountain just as easy. So it, it, and that comes back to that thing we mentioned when it comes to, um, you know, the snowflake generation you often hear. Is that is that something that's making it more of a challenge for kids to develop resilience because parents are trying to protect them from those kind of life challenges more and more and prevent them from those experiences? Yeah, 100 percent. Um, like so the general consensus and everybody would would agree. Um, you want to prevent certain 
adverse um, childhood experiences happening. Uh, parents, of course, like parents would never want their children, obviously, to uh, suffer like head trauma or abuse or anything mm. like that as growing up. But the problem is there are some adverse uh, situations that parents cannot uh, protect their child from. Yeah. Um, like, for example, it could be with the coronavirus right now. You cannot <laughs> yeah, protect yeah. your child from that. Yeah. So what's more important in that situation is rather than trying to overprotect them and protect them from everything, we should be trying to teach them how we should be teaching them to protect themselves by how they react to the difficult life situation. That is mm. what builds resilience. Um, mm. And I, I, I think it's also important to note that, and like you mentioned, the snowflake generation, it completely stems from this overprotective parenting where child at the age of maybe 10 asks can they go out and play with their friends in the in their estate or something yeah immediately and i understand it's a normal um normal thing for a parent but straight away um there's alarm bells bringing up what if this happens or what if that happens or what if they injure themselves and as a result then the parent says no you're not allowed to go out now this is unhelpful parenting because even if the child goes out uh, swinging off a tree and breaks their arm they're Mm. learning from that adverse experience and that's what's building resilience but protecting your child from the experience is not building resilience it's not building resilience okay because it is i mean it's true i mean uh, i know it's probably a bit rich we're probably not quite old enough to moan about kids being like you know ah they're disgraced these days but people might say oh well you're kids as well but i mean i it's it's crazy how quickly it has kind of changed and I, i mean what's funny is when I kind of look at it, is it like an evolutionary thing built into us to just constantly try and remove any opportunities for adversity? Because, I mean, throughout each generation, life is probably on the overall... Well, I mean, okay, there's probably something I'll come back to on this later on. But, I mean, overall, life's probably gotten a little bit easier for people. A lot of those, like, in a sense, there's a lot of those challenges and the adversity that you often would have experienced or grandparents would have experienced have been removed for us, say. Is that just a natural thing that we're trying to make us a little bit easier to live? And unfortunately, that's meant we're less resilient. Is, is, is that is that kind of it? I yeah, I think you, yeah, no, I know. I think you might be right with that. But basically, as we've developed more as a society and as a civilization, that uh, we have more time to think and more time to plan ahead. Um, one big, big influence, and it's particularly relevant now as well, though, is we're so influenced by outside media and particularly the news. Um, new, new, the news industry has known for years that negative news is always more attention grabbing than positive news. So, mm. They bombard us with negative news. And this then causes us to think the world is a lot more dangerous than it actually is. Yeah. Um, whenever you put on the news, you think that you hear about murders, you hear about car crashes, you hear about children being abducted. But in truth, if you were to actually look at the statistics, the, gen- the likelihood of these stuff happening are very extremely yeah. low. And I mean, it's, it, now's a perfect time. I mean, we're bombarded by crap on the news now about coronavirus every day, but yet it's always about the number of deaths and number of cases. It's not often about the number of people who survive or the positive stories of people surviving. I mean, there's lots of stories of elderly guys, elderly people, women and men in their 90s and 100s who are surviving the disease. There's plenty of people with illnesses who've also survived it. There are plenty of like babies who've had it and like survived it as well so i mean there are a lot of good stories and more positive angles to this now it comes back to that whole when you ask someone 
Um, and I've this is an interesting one where recently I was asked, um, can you tell me what your strengths and your weaknesses? It was a, a, a conversation I had with someone and uh, I could quickly write down all the weaknesses and all the things I needed to get better at. But it was very hard to talk about my strengths. And I think it's made, it's almost like a human thing where anything positive, we struggle to kind of focus on the positives and we often always kind of lean a little bit more on the negatives and it's easier to kind of remember those. And that that's how our brains are wired, though, like what you mentioned earlier. Our brains are wired to uh, be more aware of threat. Um, that That's normal. It is. But in relation to parenting and individuals in general, um, this idea of, um, you know, you often hear people say, say yes more and stuff like that. Mm. It's new experience. It's new experiences combined with adversity, combined with being able to deal with it that is what builds resilience yeah like that's that's the whole reason why we have memory the reason why we have memory is so that we can learn basically from our mistakes or learn through experience that's why memory is there in our brain yeah um so i think that's really important and you need to you need to feed that memory with those kind of negative experiences what i'm very curious about and it comes on this resilience track is like will because it looks like our generation or maybe the next generation will be will start to question this are we overprotective of kids and are we overprotective of people and do we have to lessen it? And it's sort of come, come to head almost. And I, it'll definitely be a kind of our lifetime where we see, will there be a kind of a change to go a little bit more in the other direction to find a more happy medium? Because it seems like the change in lifestyle and protectiveness from my grandparents and our grandparents generation to us now has been so rapid it's questioning whether it'll start to go the other way and we get to a point where we're a little bit more balanced in our kind of protectiveness of our kids, which may kind of, in a sense, kind of, you know, get us to a more happy medium with resilience. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I actually think we're seeing this right now, like the massive increase in mental health issues. The, the concept of the snowflake makes complete sense. That basically, if you, if you protect something so much, that when they eventually do have to deal with a difficult situation, because again, going back to what we've mentioned before, you can't control every situation. So we will have to deal with adversity that uh, children essentially crumble. That's the idea behind the snowflake generation. Actually, it's a very, very good anecdote um, because that is what is happening. Children aren't able to deal with any difficult life situation because they've been so overprotected as growing mm. up. Um one thing I will note as well is I'm not saying either that you let your children out at the age of four to <laughs> roam the streets of Dublin or New York or London. That's not what I'm saying either, but it's getting the balance. It's basically yeah. letting them have their difficult life experiences and rather than trying to protect them from the situation, teaching them how to deal with it. That's more important. Yeah. Um, and there's two books I want to emphasize with this. Um, the first one is factfulness, which goes back to the um, the, the negative news that we're always being bombarded with. Um, it was written by a guy, I think he's passed away now, he was a health expert, Hans Rosling. And okay. what the book is about is basically explaining that the world is the best it's ever been right now. Um, like oh, the level of yeah. poverty has gone down massively. The, um, the level of equality is far better than it's ever been. Um, and it's just continuous facts about how the world is the best it's ever been. So it's important to follow the statistics rather than what you hear on the news. Yeah. Um, and then the other one I want to note is uh, The Coddling of the American Mind, which was written by um, Jonathan Haidt. 
And what he speaks about is what we've been talking about, about this importance of not overprotecting the child, but letting them experience difficult life events. Um, okay. Interesting. No, I mean, what's funny is that, and I, I like that one. I think pretty sure I've heard that book about Hans Rosling. There's actually one I was going to mention was there's a really cool, I don't know if you've seen it on Instagram. There's a page called Tanks Good News. And um, basically it's this guy from the US. I don't, I don't know who he is. He's got millions of followers now. But basically what he does is he does that. It's all about like positive news stories. So he does things at the minute he's done mention things around, you know, people who've successfully recovered from coronavirus and like, in cases where they look like they were going to and you know but he does it he's done it for a long time where kind of positive news stories and i do think there is starting to become and it's interesting because i think it was coming up where i was listening to an art uh, uh, podcast ironically um between two guys talking about um the american news structure and um, particularly in relation to the american general election which is due this year and around how much of the news has become all about um sensationalism and a lot of them are questioning whether it's tied to some of these satirical tv shows like um snl and um there's that other one with trevor noah i can't remember his name but he does a a, 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 a kind of a yeah a kind of a comedy news uh show and they're wondering has the news networks themselves forgotten their role as being you know informers of facts around the world and more informers of sensationalism. So sensationalism around negative stories or blowing up stuff out of proportion that might necessarily be true just to get views and likes. And um, so I do, I do think uh, something like that, a fact from this book, I think would be, would be an interesting. H, um, HBO have a great uh, TV series as well called the newest room, which exactly touches on that, even though it's a good few years old now, but it, it's really, really good. Oh um, yeah, is that the? I'm pretty sure there's the it's famous Greg Daniels. Is there? I'm pretty sure there's a famous there's a famous clip from it. I think. Yeah, where, talking yeah. about America. Yes. At the start, yeah, and that's a great Aaron video. Sorkin, uh, a... Aaron Sorkin, the creator of Social Network, he also um, he's the writer. Um, and then the other thing I probably should mention as well is so there are so we've talked about parenting in detail, but there is also like a, there's a huge list of things that can basically promote resilience or uh, prevent resilience developing. Mm. Um, and this is why, where I want to go back to the biological and the environmental. Okay. So. So uh, what do you mean, you mean like fact- stuff that's impacted it both in a biological sense and an environmental sense? Yeah. OK, so. For example, um, certain fa- factors might include there was this huge um, study done by um, her name is after going for me. It's Anne something beginning with M anyway, but she made a list of basically <laughs> factors in research that has been found to be uh, influential in um, Maston. Sorry, that's it. And Anne Masson has done this big study and looked at loads of factors that affected resilience. And um, yeah. the list she had was basically motivation, problem-solving skills, self-efficacy, optimism, routine, meaning, and education. Now, for example, biological factors are something like motivation is uh, it's partially biological. Uh, self-efficacy, belief in oneself is partially biological. Um but the opt- optimism is also biological, but there's lots of ones then that are environmental. And this might include problem-solving skills, which can be taught to any child, uh, routine, uh, meaning, and education. Um, and the meaning one is particularly interesting, I think, because okay. um, 
that's what the education system should emphasize in my opinion we should be teaching children about how to find their meaning in life um because if a yeah but if if an education system can do that for a child that makes them more resilient so for example when you're very very focused when you feel that something is your meaning in life and you're following it um if you have to deal with an adverse situation your meaning in life would help you continue through that adverse situation and that's really really important and does this cut co- this comes back to it you hear it from motivational speakers but i actually think it's always good is where you always hear the guys who whenever someone who's very successful asks about you know why what like, what drove you through kind of the challenges because being successful is never easy and there's lots of difficult roads to follow they always go back to the fact that they had a meaning or a purpose that was bigger than them. They had a bigger reason to kind of be pushing it, whether it's to get themselves out of poverty, whether it's to do something for their their sick parent, or there's always like a bigger kind of purpose behind why are they go. It's not just the goal that they succeeded in and they just wanted to achieve that. It's normally something else that's driven them through the pain barriers of getting there, which I often think. But I mean, how would you broach that with a child? Like, I mean, <laughs> they're a child who are yeah, just yeah, about yeah. to hit teen years. So um, this is the other thing that's really, really important with um, resilience as well. Resilience particularly develops in transitionary periods. So timing really matters. Um, This, for example, is why like when children are very, very young, this is a particularly dangerous period for children to develop resilience or to uh, not develop it. Like um, postnatal depression of a mother, for example, has been found to be massively uh, indicative of future mental health problems for the child because the lack of attachment between a parent and the child influences how resilient they are when they have to deal with other difficult life situations even Uh, for a small period of time in the early years the early kind of like it's hard to measure by time but in general they've basically found a strong association between uh maternal um depressive symptoms and child uh the development of um, psychological issues and then the other thing I wanted to mention as well is so this transition into into secondary school is particularly important for children as well Mm -hmm. because not only are they obviously big change in school but they're um, they're obviously hitting puberty as well Mm. and this period here if it's not managed well will make a child less resilient because particularly secondary school children are going to have to deal with lots and lots of uh difficulties i mean it's Um, like it's like whenever we kind of planned life i mean you would have thought we would have come up with some system where we could have at least spread out some of these major changes in our lives but it's like growing up you're hitting puberty you're moving to a new school new friends new challenges you're starting to kind of social status and like independence you're starting to like have interest in the opposite sex there's all these other things going on you know that literally all land at the one time it's like what can parents do in preparation for that that preps them for like that bombardment that's like naturally going to come and it comes for everyone yeah so there's there's two approaches to well there's three approaches to this the first approach is do nothing which at the moment is the um is what probably most people are doing because um but this isn't parents fault this is the education system the Mm -hmm. education system isn't guided towards preparing children to transition in secondary school the only thing they're taught is basically how they'll be moving at the practical stuff Mm -hmm. like moving from class to class, not being in the same class and like 
the transition, like the very practical transition, but it doesn't talk about the emotional transition. Okay. Um, um, but there's other approaches then like such as there's this new thing known as uh, stress inoculation training, which is basically preparing children for uh, adverse difficult life situations by role playing them out. Um, and unfortunately, uh, an example of this at the moment in America would be um, children preparing for terrorist attacks in schools. That would be an example of stress <laughs> I let you in the b- training. That, that's madness. Like, I mean, it is madness. Mm, but you see, if the situation did happen, that does lessen the trauma of it. That's the reason why it is being done. Um, so that is a form of basically resilience training. Now, obviously, this has changed over time, and that would would be an extreme example, but there are others now being set up. There's these kind of resilience training programs being set up for children to transition into secondary school. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other one, which uh, I personally think is the most important, then is just teaching children about emotion regulation strategies. If you're feeling this emotion, this is what you can do in this situation. So rather than focusing on the situation itself, um, there's more focus on the emotion, but also generally the same situations come up in secondary school which are generally loneliness is something that children experience failure is another thing that they experience and um and then finally bullying is obviously the big one that doesn't seem to be going away but what what's madness is so we're talking here about like you know what can we do or what can we better prepare kids um to kind of deal with the challenges of going into secondary school but what did we do or what did our parents do? Like, I mean, what, what did, what were our experiences and were we just, are we just lost causes that we're destined for struggles with resilience or like, how did we do it? And now we suddenly have to come up with different practices to do it for kids today. What, like, why were we, how were we able to manage before? So the bit, the best um, predictor of resilience is social support. That's really, really important. I know we've already talked about connection and that, so I won't go into massive detail, but um, for example, there was a study done by Chiang and colleagues, and basically he uh, they found that um, if children were abused, if children were abused, um, social support acted as a buffer to them developing mental health issues in the future. And obviously, child abuse is, is a huge adverse, difficult life situation mm, yeah. uh, for your body Generally. and your brain to deal with. Mm. Um, so social support to date is still so that is something gen- that most um, children thankfully do have and um, there's that saying as well that every child only needs one supportive um, adult in their life whether it doesn't have to be a parent it could be a teacher um, Maddie Coyne talked about it in our podcast yeah um, so you only need um, one adult to kind of help you to guide you through um, nice. difficult life events that's really, really important. And obviously friends helped massively as well. Mm. Um, in relation to your, if we are less or more resilient, um, taking the over-parenting out um, or over-protective parenting um, out of account, I think it's more, we're just more aware of it now. Okay. Um, as opposed to in the past where we probably brushed it under the table because we didn't know about it. Mm. Um, but there's just more attention being put on it now. So because of that, which is a good thing because it'll be research yeah. and study but it seems to be a lot worse than it actually is then, I'd say. 
it's more them. It's just it's kind of like the more you know, the more you realize it's a problem than actually the before. Because yeah, because I I obviously get you know trying to look back on what it was like growing up as a kid. Obviously, we all went through those challenges, you know, trying to fit in and puberty and like all those different issues you have at secondary school and the stress of going from a school with ten kids in my case to a year with a hundred kids. You're like, oh, what the hell is this? This is madness. And like having loads of different teachers rather than one solid teacher per year that you could become close with and friendly with. So all those challenges. The only area I can really relate to how maybe my experience was a little bit different was in sport and probably a little bit back to, you know, growing up. And there was always the kind of the parents who were overprotective of their kid and, you know, would never tell them they did well or never told them they were wrong. And I know, you know, in my case, my mom would have always been really kind and said, oh, you always did well. Whereas my dad would have told me I was pretty crap most times. And that used to almost it was almost in my head. It was a bit like. I'm I'm always striving to get better because dad always told me I wasn't, you know, I needed to get better and he never would have congratulated me unless I did really well. And it was kind of like, for me, it meant that I was a little bit more kind of resilient because I wasn't always told I was perfect. I always felt I had to like work hard at it. I wasn't given anything easy from a sporting perspective, probably in a school perspective is a little bit different. I had a very good school or whatever. So that's the only thing I can relate to. But it's funny how when I look back at it, I can't say my parents did this or my upbringing was like that. That meant I was more resilient or less resilient. It's funny. But I, I, I think that's quite a good ba- balance now. There, there's no research on this. This is probably just personal opinion, but I also think it is beneficial to be around a group of friends who don't take everything too seriously and who are able to slag you off because, yeah. as I mentioned, like there's that mental health vaccine in that you need to be able to take criticism from a young age mm. in order to be more resilient, to be able to deal with more difficult life situations. And when it goes too far, you do need that support and you do yeah. need that care and that kindness. But... In general, I think it is good basically to be given criticism or to be slagged off every now and again because it makes uh, um, the term that would have been used in the past would be that you've had a tougher skin, for example. Yeah. And that's an Irish thing. I mean, do you know the way we have this kind of culture of like slagging, slagging the crap out of each other and like, you know, a little bit more probably self-deprecating in Ireland than maybe we than maybe other kind of, you know, nations does that make us a little bit more resilient because we're always giving slagging each other and giving ourselves a hard time i don't know we it is that kind of thing where we're probably a little bit more self-deprecating than probably other people and deal with we're happy to we have good sense of humor as we slag each other and don't take ourselves too seriously yeah 100 percent. i do i do think that but again the there's no research no study on in it yeah of course mm-hmm. so you, you you mentioned there like kind of some of the key experiences that can help build resilience that kids go through that if they're dealt with appropriately can help build that resilience are failure um bullying and uh loneliness they're three kind of areas that are kind of tied to resilience so do you want to maybe kind of go into those a little bit more detail and i mean these are yeah. important for adults as well so we can probably reference how they kind of impact both kids and adults yeah, 100%. These are the three. So, like, um, as I mentioned already, how we prefer to deal with it in general is that um, a situation causes a certain emotion. We deal with that emotion specifically. But these three situations are the ones that kept coming up when we first started doing the program. And as you mentioned, it's very, very common for adults as well. Um, so we'll start with loneliness. Um, loneliness is basically um, we explain we always open up the conversation. What would you do in a situation where you're by yourself to the children? Um, and 
when we ask the parents, it's funny. The parents' response is always put my child in a club or a society where they can meet more people. <laughs> yeah, and, they always say that. And, and 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 that is that is a good solution. But the problem is that's only half the battle. Because no matter what environment you place your child in, if you don't teach a child to walk up and start a conversation with somebody, then they always have the potential to be lonely, regardless of if they're surrounded by five people or 100 people. So mm. it's really, really important to get past those negative emotions um, of um, awkwardness, feeling uncomfortable, feeling nervous, worried, and just get past those negative emotions and still walk up to somebody. Because that's what resilience is. It's feeling negative emotions, but getting past them to achieve your goals, like we mentioned, which is mm. really, really important. And as you mentioned, this applies to um, adults just as much. Like if you're feeling lonely at home, it sounds stupid, but pick up the phone and message yeah. somebody or call somebody. And, and yeah, like I can definitely kind of, you know, relate to that loneliness piece. And I genuinely think loneliness is one of the most horrible, un invisible diseases out there in a sense because it's so easy to find yourself in a situation where you can start becoming lonely and I think it is quite topical at the minute where people are stuck at home or stuck in their homes and they can't go out and see people like I know I'm here in the apartment um, what I like to call is Motus HQ because this is where we've recorded every podcast except this one it's virtually but basically I'm here in the apartment and I know I get days where I'm going like you know it's a little bit of a struggle because I don't see people one day to next bar over the phone or on a video like this so I do think, you know, it's quite topical at the moment for people. How do you, you know, as you said, it's easy to just pick up the phone. And I do think that's an important thing. And I think people are recognizing that with all these kind of Zoom quizzes and virtual drinks and all that. You see people trying to work out a way to get that connection, even though they can't do it kind of face to face. Yeah, 100 um, percent. On the topic of the most difficult, there was a study that actually found um it was a graduate school project that basically found that um, loneliness is actually as deadly as uh, smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Yeah. Like there was actually a study done on it. So it is highly and like particularly among the elderly, of course, loneliness is always a huge problem. Um, so lonely people are 50 percent more likely to die prematurely than those with healthy social relationships. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, it, um, it, it, it yeah, is it, deadly. it is. And it, it is. It's the elderly is a big one. Obviously, it's topical, given the fact that. You know, with or without coronavirus, you always hear about elderly people getting, you know, isolated from society because maybe they're not able as mobile or able to get out as much. But then oftentimes maybe their kids or grandkids have moved away and live far away. So it's hard for them to kind of get that social interaction of people coming and visiting them. So, I mean, it is one. I mean, and what I find interesting is you always hear people say, I'm a little bit more introverted. I like spending time on my own. But what I think has kind of brought it out to more people is in given the circumstances now where we're all stuck at home and we're forced to be alone a lot longer even the people who would have been saying I like spending a little bit of time on my own and sometimes I don't necessarily like going out and socializing with everyone I need time to myself even they're saying there's only so much of that little time to myself I need it's kind of a finite time and then I want to go out and see people again but then when you can't it, they just feel just as bad, you know? So it, it is a kind of, a, we are social beings. That's kind of, you know, how we kind of have evolved. So it's something that yeah. we all need. Um, one thing we always emphasize as well, though, because children always ask too, it is also important to emphasize too, though, that being alone sometimes is not loneliness either. Um, yeah. It's okay to be by yourself. You don't need to be with people all of the time, but you do need to be uh, with people some of the time, 100%, even if you're introverted. 
Um, this extroversion, introversion thing always frustrates me. I think there's an overemphasis on it. You can't yeah. break people into two groups. Like, it's just not that simple. Um, yeah. I will include, I've just found the study here for the um, the loneliness um, sure. thing. We'll put um, that in show notes. Yeah, and then the other thing too is, I think it, if you do want to put it into a black and white way, what we always say as well is just, if you think about it, it, the reason why it's so important to try and connect, to get past those negative emotions and connect with somebody is because if you don't, you're still going to be lonely. It is mm. that black and white. The only way to get rid of the loneliness is to reach out and is to connect. So that's the way to do it. But it is hard. It, it's, yeah. it's easy for us to say this, to be on our high horse, but it is hard when you're feeling lonely. You won't want to, but mm. you should. That's and when you're, when you're a stranger, like that's, it's hard to go out. It's hard for me. It'd be hard for you to go out if you're just dropped in a place where you know no one to suddenly start reaching out and making friends with strangers. Oh, it's like, particularly hard as an adult, I think. It's a lot harder than as a child. Like even, the, the I, I've known so many people, uh, particularly when I moved to London myself, I was quite fortunate because I knew people. But when you move to London, you just see London is just full of individual people uh, who are incredibly lonely, like... Um, and I stand by it that the tube in the morning uh, in London is one of the most depressing things you'll ever see. Uh, it's just people going to work. Yeah. Yeah. We're on um, the phone. So like, it, it's when you move as well. But again, this goes back to this uh, importance of experience. You need, if you always stay in your comfort zone, you don't become resilient. You need to get outside of your comfort zone. And that could be moving to a big city or, or moving to a place where you don't know many people yeah. so that you can build on that resilience. Um, yeah to basically better deal with loneliness. And once you're able to do it once, you get better at it and then you're able to do it more and more over time. Yeah. And I think what I think what was nice was the way you talked about there and you mentioned it there about the um, you know, being alone doesn't necessarily mean you're lonely. And the way I kind of picture it in my head is that nice little graphic we use sometimes where we talk about unconditional love and about, you know, the person who's having a hard time and then there's a person there who's not necessarily asking them or like forcefully trying to help them, but it's just there in case they need them. I think loneliness is just the idea, the concept of feeling like you don't have anyone there if you need them. You can be on your own, but if you feel like you have a support network there that's to fall back on or to reach out to when you need help or support or when you want to talk to someone or socialize, that's okay. If Just because you're on your own, but if you feel like you have that, you're not a lonely person, you're, you're happy. But it's the idea of being alone, but also feeling like you don't have anyone to turn to. You really are yeah. kind like, of... Like, it's, com it's completely subjective as well. Um, like, there's arguments... Um, like we can't prove this, but you could argue it is an emotion in itself, loneliness. It's the subjective experience that you feel because you could be around hundreds of people, but still mm. feel lonely, for example. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it is 100 percent subjective. Um, one more point I was going to make about loneliness. No, it's after going. Yeah. Um, but the, the next one then um, that we should probably talk about then is failure. Um, now, now, you, you you mentioned exams. Um, I'm going to touch on this, um, not for this podcast, for the next one, because we talk okay. specifically about, about worry. And I know this yeah. is a big issue for many Leave and Cert students now at the moment. Yeah. It is like topic number one with parents, with teachers, with government trying to work out how do we avoid causing extra, extra stress on top of the stress of the COVID situation on top of kids who are worrying about not just exams, but, you know, school in general and university places like I think, um, yes, yeah, definitely want to talk about later down the line in a worry podcast. 
Yeah, but um, specifically talking about failure in general. So, I mean, when you've actually failed at something, when the outcome is already done and you failed. Mm. Um, and and th- this is a big problem among children today as well, because the more I talk to teachers, they always have one or two students who are emphasizing this. Um, I need to get 100% in everything. And when they do eventually fail, because they will, because you can't get 100% in everything. Uh, when you eventually fail, you have to be able to deal with it. Mm. Um, now this is fairly most parents and most teachers already emphasize this but as you um, but as we mentioned in the workshop what we teach the children is fail stands for first attempt in learning Mm. and this is basically a blueprint referring to everything we've already talked about in that you need to fail in order to succeed so the more you fail the more you experience that difficult um, situation of failing that's more likely you're going to learn from it because we'll always remember failures far better than we remember successes because failures hurt Mm. and the brain remembers negative emotions more than it remembers positive emotions because that's how our brain is built in order to survive. Yeah. And it's something that I, I think it's, it's an important thing to push yourself outside your comfort zone to the point of, potential obviously you don't want life-threatening failure but potential failure throughout life and never get too comfortable with things being too easy and you know I can I can say like you know there was a time where you know I felt like I could go through job interview and different jobs and different opportunities and everything seemed to be going great and going well and you know everything I applied for everything I went to do or every project I worked on seemed to be going well and then suddenly I went for this job interview one time and didn't get it and I remember it's not like it'd been the first time I'd failed it's not like I'd never failed before but it really hit me for six because there'd been a long period of time where I hadn't everything seemed to go well for me. And I think it was almost like an eye-opening experience to just realize that, you know, it comes back to that point you made right back at the start as in life isn't always fair and life is tough and life's not always going to be easy. And I think it's almost like a reassuring factor when you fail and realize like it's okay and it's normal and it happens. And, you know, how do I get over it and move on and learn from it? I think it's it, it's almost like a more of a worrying experience if you haven't experienced it in quite a while, because it's almost like you feel like you have more to lose because you've been kind of on a good run for quite a long time. So it's always nice and healthy to just have a little bit of knockbacks to keep you level. Yeah. And then there's that saying as well of like, um, and this is what resilience is, is failing fast. Because mm. if you fail fast, you learn quicker. Um, and that's that's resilience that shows resilience like even you reference job interviews um i'm sure the majority of employers when they look they want to see failure they mm. want to see something bad happening because with that failure then comes more learning as i mentioned yeah and i think it comes when you talk about that fail fast is something that you often hear from sports players saying like oh i wanted to fail fast there's always that interest in nike commercial from years back with Michael Jordan, which he talks about having one of the, you know, most amount of misses and most amount of losses and a load of really negative statistics. And he said, without all those uh, failings or those missed opportunities or those missed shots, I never would have been the success that I was. It's kind of poignant because there's an interesting documentary on his last season uh, with the Chicago Bulls on Netflix. 
The Last Dance, which I kind of watched the first two episodes of, is really, really good and talks a lot about kind of his challenge in kind of high school and how it wasn't always such a straightforward journey. Because I think, unfortunately, with kind of media, as you said, um, as much as it shows us the negative stuff and pushes negative stuff, it often shows us when it comes to celebrity lifestyle, the positive side of it. And we often don't see the challenges, the failings people went through to get there and the resilience they had to build up. So we often don't, as children, get to see um, how difficult it is um, in life anyway. Um, so yeah, again, you only see of, the success. Um, yeah. Um, it's just the same with companies as well. You only ever see the successful story. You only hear about the Facebooks and the Amazons, but you never hear about the majority who actually do fail. Hopefully um, Motus is alongside the Facebooks and the Amazons. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I, I think that's essentially failure. Um, what what closely ties with failure is um, is rejection. Um, mm. Now we don't really we don't really talk about this in the well we do but we talk about it in a different way. But rejection in most cases is um, it it's it's difficult particularly for it's more common as well particularly for adults. Um, and the do you mean rejection always, in what sense? just being rejected from anything um okay. like being rejected from a job interview being rejected from a sexual partner just rejection yeah. in general um and there's one i always give the anecdote um there's an absolutely fantastic uh ted talk called emotional hygiene um by guy winch he's a clinical psychologist and he gives the example of if you go on a date and it's a blind date, you've never met the person before, and they sit down, uh, or you're sitting down there waiting, and then basically the date never shows up, and you then call your friend, and you tell your friend, oh, um, nobody ever showed up, uh, they never it's showed up, and then, and then your friend responds, well, that's not really a surprise, because you're not very attractive, and nobody really likes you, and you're not enjoyable to be around, There's no surprise. <laughs> and Some friends. Like, yeah, everybody's immediate response is some friend. But the problem is we sometimes say that to ourselves and we think it's okay, but you'd never say it to somebody else. And this is where wow. the emotion where the emotion regulation strategy of self-compassion comes in. And this is compassion-focused therapy. Now, we'll, this is something we're going to talk about more later. I can do yeah. a complete podcast on Same. this alone. But, that, um, who, I actually, I love that example. I mean, that's so funny because the minute you said, when you first said, I was like, geez, what, what a shit friend. And then I'm like, but that is exactly what you would say to yourself. Because if you fail at a job or you get rejected in uh, for a date or whatever, the first thing you say is, ah, you know, I'm not that good looking. Or, yeah, no wonder. You try and almost lessen the blow by kind of undermining yeah. yourself. So what it is just basically being to yourself and being um being aware that as humans we are fallible to make mistakes 100 so we need to accept that that's really really important um mm. and we'll talk more about compassion towards other people then as well when we're doing the social skills one um and yeah so that's rejection anyway and then the last one that we talk about and this is probably the, the longest one is bullying and um Big. Of course, yeah, bullying is a problem that's always been there. And any school we go into, they always ask about bullying. Um, one thing, this might sound strange, um, but one thing I will say is, again, bullying is obviously a much more serious 
um, version, but it is still what I was referring to about being flagged off um, in relation mm. to it's not always a bad thing. It does build uh, build children up to be more resilient. Mm. Um, but what we advise when we ask children, what would you do in this situation if you were being verbally bullied? Uh, their immediate response every single time is always tell a parent or tell a teacher. Now, we ban that. We say you're not yeah. allowed to say that. Um, and the reason why we do that is because it just doesn't work. Um, mm. There's two issues. Either in that situation, the child will be too scared to actually go tell uh, an adult or a parent. Yeah. So, Or they'll probably get slagged more for being a snitch or a rat yes, or something. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, or else the other issue is they do tell and it doesn't improve the situation um, where the teacher or the parent don't really know what to do because it is mm. a difficult situation to deal with. It's They've never, no proof of it either because unless you're there yeah. to see it, you can't really react exactly. to it. Um, and then, w- like when we when we push children to come up with different um, different solutions, we get some which aren't bad and they might work, but they won't work every time. Like uh, a very common one is ignore them. Um, if you ignore a bully, they might stop that time, but they're going to do it again afterwards. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, another another one is um, just being like what or saying excuse me. Uh, or just keep saying what like that's something that is <laughs> it's quite creative and and, and it, it, it might work once but it's not going to continuously work um, uh, other ones we've got as well is have a friend around you which is great but there will be situations where you're going to be yeah, alone probably, so, yeah, of course um, so you need to find uh, something that is adaptable to different situations um, mm. and what we and what we teach the children is this actually comes from a sociological theory whereby bullying is basically, it's a game. If you look at it in terms of power dynamic, the bully is bullying you because they want to uh, show their dominance over you. This Mm. becomes more prevalent in secondary school because, as we mentioned before, when you hit puberty, your testosterone increases. When your testosterone increases, you become more aggressive, but also your social status. You want to be shown to be like the dominant. It goes back to the chimps. You want to be shown to be the dominant, um, like, chimpanzee for yeah example. yeah yeah that is generally like because you always the get alpha the male but yeah because um you sometimes get like bullies are only bullying because um because they're sad or they're angry that is a lot yeah. of the case but there are some situations where somebody isn't sad or angry at all but they're just being mean to somebody <laughs> yeah, um um, so it's important to move away from that. We're always told this fable of how bullying works, but in reality, it's not always that way. Okay. Um, but going back anyway, bullying is a game. It's you against the bully. Mm-hmm. What the bully wants is for you to show negative emotions. And we'll all feel sad. If somebody's putting us down, we'll all feel sad and we'll all feel shame. But they want to see it because they can't see how you feel. So they want to see you get angry or see you get upset. That's okay. how they win the game. They, they have portrayed their dominance over you. So rather than you showing negative emotions, ignoring them is somewhat doing it, but probably not enough. But the best thing we can do in that situation is rather than showing negative emotions, show mm-hmm. positive emotions. So, and what this involves, because it doesn't involve any wit or intelligence, all you have to do and what we always tell the children is just agree with the bully. This is my favorite so activity the, we do in the workshop because I always think so, it's quite funny. So when the bully calls you fat, say, yeah, I put on a load of uh, weight. Bully calls you ugly, say, yes, I don't look like Zac Efron. And the bully calls you stupid, say, yeah, I'm really bad at maths. If you agree with the bully, the bully doesn't get the power, so the bully doesn't get the satisfaction. 
And if the bully's not getting the satisfaction, that's obvious um, conditioning. They're not going to continue doing it. Mm. Now, it doesn't work 100% of the time. We don't say it does, but it is quite effective. And another additional thing you can do is rather than trying to slag off the bully, which might be helpful in some cases, just compliment them. Just uh, just be like, oh, but you're really smart or you're really cool or whatever. Um, okay. It makes the bully uncomfortable. Again, if the bully is uncomfortable and not getting the power, the bully is not going to keep doing it. Um, again, we know it's not 100% going to work, but it's alternative, an alternative solution that children probably have never heard before. Mm. Um, also, um, we have had some st- lovely stories. Like we had one child in Dublin who was being bullied, uh, always getting slagged off about how cheap his clothes were. One day, the bully was slagging off saying, oh, how much did your shoes or your runners cost? And the little boy responded, oh, uh, if he, no, sorry, the bully was like, oh, were they only 10 euro? And the, uh, the little boy responded, no, they were actually only five. And now <laughs> it is, that is minor and that's not going to stop the bullying probably. But that child did learn something there. That child became more resilient because that child learned how to stand up for himself. Um, yeah. And that's really, really important in that situation. And that's a huge boost in self-esteem as well. Um, Being able to stand and- up and say that, yeah. Yeah, and then going back to what we were talking about earlier about this um, non-overprotective parenting, if you do hear your child or your student is being bullied, of course, you're going to want to step in straight away, and that's the immediate protective biological response. But from what we were talking about earlier, it's far more effective if you can teach a child how to deal with it and let them try Mm. it, let Mm. them build that resilience. If it's still not working, then you can step in. But if you step in straight away, the child's going to go from being bullied in primary school to secondary school, to secondary school to college and college to the workplace. Yeah. It's really, really important to correct it from a young age, build that resilience as soon as possible. But I, th- I think the, 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 the scary thing, the frightening thing for parents, and I think for everyone, is that the playing field for bullying has changed. I mean, it was okay to kind of get the odd slagging and the kind of getting the bit at you in school or wherever, but now, um, not well, it's also for adults as well, you know, you have the potential to be bullied all times, everywhere, 24-7 with things like social media. So how do you take, can you take some of those learnings and kind of incorporate? Because you see with stories like with, um, the unfortunate stories with Caroline Flack and something like that, online bullying and online hate can be quite vicious because people say things there that they would never say face-to-face. So is there learn lessons we can take from the real world and face-to-face and kind of incorporate those to how we deal with online bullying? Yeah, I suppose, like, for example, if somebody, I think it's always important with social media that, um, because you often hear people saying, oh, social media is detrimental and social media is what's caused mental health problems. It's not. What's causing mental health problems is people putting their self-worth on their social media. So determining how um, how they feel or rating themselves based on how successful their social media page is. I think that's the issue. And mm. this relates then back to bullying that if somebody basically puts a hurtful comment on one of your pictures or something like that, if you're putting all your self-worth into how you look in that picture, that's yeah. the issue as opposed to social media itself. Yeah. Um, so it's important, basically, it again goes back to emotion regulation strategies, that basically being aware, okay, some people will, um, we can't control other people, so some people will say hurtful comments, but mm. I don't care, for example, yeah. or uh, I can control how I think in the situation. Yeah, because I think it's, we know, you know, social media is not going to disappear. 
we can't get rid of it. It'll never go away. If anything, it's just going to become more prevalent and more interacted in our lives. So it's about coming up with techniques and skills to just, you know, not deal with it and manage your use of social media that doesn't affect you from a mental health perspective. And as you're right, it is that kind of, you know, if you're using it, you're aware that some people will say nasty things that they wouldn't say to you face to face. And also, as much as it's easy for them to like switch on social media and bully you, it's also as easy for you to switch it off and just ignore it for a while if you want to break. So, I mean, it's not like there are no te- tips and tricks and, out there to actually manage it. And and it goes the other way as well. Like we've done, a, we've done a blog on sad fishing, where there's this new concept where people are crying out for attention, mm. um, expressing how sad or depressed they are online as well. And that's the same thing. It's putting yourself worth on your social media avatar, and that's that's the issue. It's not the actual social media itself. It's somebody putting their self worth or portraying themselves as something they're not online. And then judging other people's judgments or determining it goes back. It it always goes back to um, really, really caring about what other people think. That's mm. the that's the problem. Yeah. Um, and social media is a platform that allows people to do that. And now, I get the feeling like that's a deep topic that you could go on about for a long time around the intricacies of the psychology of social media and how people operate on it. Yeah, like social media is something we could talk about for ages. Now, I will note as well, in relation to cyberbullying, um, there is an organization, SECO. Um, they specifically yeah. work with that. There are experts in that. Like, I will admit, we're not experts on uh, cyberbullying. Um, but going back spun, to the bullying... Um, I'll just mention as well. I'm pretty sure they do. They're that kind of youth website that's kind of been going on for a long, long time. And they do some good stuff around cyberbullying as well. Um, but going back as well, the other thing I forgot to mention too is, is physical bullying in itself. Now, we only spoke about verbal bullying, but physical bullying, like if somebody is, 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 is hurting you physically, then you tell a parent, you tell a teacher straight away. That's what we emphasize because mm-hmm. somebody hitting you is assault. It's actually breaking the law. But somebody being mean to you, somebody putting you down verbally, that's not breaking the law. Yeah. So you need to learn how to stand up for yourself in that situation. Um, it's like that but if it's physical, is no one like no one has to be nice to you. It's just nice to be nice. So exactly. you have to learn yeah. how to just deal with. But if someone's actually physically bullying you, as you said, that is actually against the law. That is assault. So we're not saying just stand there and take that. There is, you know, you need to go get um, help in those circumstances. Yeah, um, and. Yeah, I, I, I think we won't cover any more. So we actually did an extra one. We did loneliness, bullying, failure and rejection. Um, but I think other than that, they're probably the four most likely situations, the children, uh, adverse situations the children will have to deal with in the transition into secondary school. Yeah. And it's probably something that every child will have to uh, or every person will have to deal with some stage in life. And I mean, is there um, anything, anyone that people can look at for inspiration? Like, is there anyone you yourself ever look at and sort of say, look, they're a good example of someone who's shown strong resilience? I mean, is that something that you recommend to people? You know, the, people love quotes and stuff online and like look yeah, at this stuff to get inspiration. But is there really something to the, look at? The ones we refer to in the workshop, anyway, in regards to failure, we talk about Oprah. We talk about how Oprah basically was sexually abused as a child um, and had no money, was got no support, ended up becoming the first ever black woman billionaire. Uh, we yeah. talk about... Um, Is it uh, Ronaldo? 
uh, we talk about Einstein, how Einstein basically was dyslexic. He wasn't very good at school. He then went on to win a Nobel Prize, solved the theory of relativity, and uh, it's known to be one of the smartest people of all time. And finally, yeah, for the uh, people interested in sports, we refer to Luke Modric. Oh, Luke Modric, Modric yeah. uh, growing up, basically was told that you're too small to become a footballer. And then he went on to win three Champions League in a row, a Ballon d'Or and playing a World Cup final. And yeah. the, the list goes on, like Walt Disney is another big one that always gets mentioned too. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's so many people um, who have failed or who have been resilient through difficult times and ended up coming out the other end. As you said, nearly like guaranteed everyone will experience some form of adversity in their lives. So everyone will have a story or two about how they showed resilience to get through that and out the other side. Um, it's just a way of life. Yeah, and that's a good thing. That's what that's the way to build it. Like I mentioned, the mental health vaccine. You need to deal with difficult life situations in order mm-hmm. to become resilient. Mm-hmm. That's really, really important. On, um, on, yeah, do you have anything else or kind of any other thoughts? I was just going to say in relation to the to the next one then, um, because I mentioned it midway through this, that the best way to deal with difficult life situations is to identify the emotion and then uh, use an emotion regulation strategy. So that's what we'll talk about in the next one. Cool. We'll talk specifically about uh, specific emotions, like how to deal with sadness, how to deal with anger, how to deal with guilt, shame, envy, jealousy, worry, um, and the best solutions that the research is showing to date. Um, that's what we'll talk about in the next one. Cool. Um, that's very good. We mentioned a lot of interesting stuff. There was books there. There was some interesting studies. And um, what we'll do is we'll make sure to kind of compile all that and make sure those are in the show notes. Um, I thought an interesting tip for anyone who's feeling a little lonely or a little bit isolated in quarantine at the minute. I was reading that, I think, was it Sir Isaac Newton created a calculus during the plague while he was stuck inside because uh, Cambridge University was shut because of the plague and they were all meant to stay at home. So if anyone feels like they're um, just sitting around watching Netflix and watching TV, Sir Isaac Newton created calculus while sitting at home. So, I mean, you have to be pretty bored to come up with calculus, but I mean, if he can do it, I mean, try and come up with something creative while you're sitting at home. Maybe not calculus, but (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Could you come up with that? But uh... Uh, yeah, I don't have anything else. I mean, that was fairly in-depth. It's obviously an interesting one. It's a topical one. I'm sure it's one that touches on a lot of different areas we'll discuss. As you said, around worry is tied to it. Um, just understanding your emotions is tied to it. So um, it is always, resilience is always an easy one to kind of get a conversation out of. I mean, do you have anything more to add or will we leave it there? Yeah, I, I think just in relation to uh, the... Um... Just in relation to the coronavirus itself, again, because it's obviously related, I think it's important just to emphasize again, remember that, like all of us, none of us can control what has happened. It has happened. We can't do anything about it. But how we react to that, that's what builds the resilience. Mm. Um, That's how we're able to deal with it. So it's important to be aware of how you're reacting to, how you're thinking about the coronavirus. And referring back to our our podcast on cognitive behavioral therapy it's the best way to deal with it but um yeah i think we'll leave it there perfect all right as always guys um appreciate you listening in i think we're now at a thousand listens on our podcast so far so that's a nice milestone to finally have gotten to so um as i said we'll have all those um kind of links to different studies and some of the different resources there in the show notes so you can kind of follow up and check them out and as always mind yourselves